0: What is that time of year when a number of you, I would suspect, are thinking about the kinds of resolutions that you want to make for 2010, and sometimes that's a good thing. Um, As I prayed before, our resolutions don't hold a lot of strength in and of themselves, but if we resolve the right things and pray the Lord's help and blessing, then it can be a good thing. So some of you are thinking about how you want to exercise or how much weight you want to lose. Some of you are thinking about how you want to spend less time at the office and more time with your family, perhaps. Some of you are thinking about how you're going to have a plan in 2010 to get out of debt. Whatever it may be, um, those are all good things. Um, But as I said, my experience personally is that our resolutions are often a dime a dozen. That's why we have to keep making them year after year, right? If they were really that strong, we wouldn't have to do them again and again. But as i said if god helps us there are some resolutions that we should be making that can be good for us and maybe you have some of those in mind and maybe you make some of those even when it's not new years and as a pastor my temptation and i've told you this before is to tell you what i think your resolutions ought to be just to kind of give you a list and have you resolve all those things and i won't i would never do that if I were to give you a list of resolutions, I might include that you would all tithe uh, in two thousand and ten and that every visitor that comes into our building would get greeted by numerous people in two thousand and ten and that you'd all have one of those offering globes and fill that up for next year's Lottie Moon missions offering in two thousand and ten, that all of you would be at prayer meeting in two thousand and ten. But I'm not gonna give you a list like that this morning. But I will give you I will give you one resolution that I think all of us could aim for. And this is a good time for us to be thinking about it. And that is that all of you would avail yourself of every opportunity in 2010 to drink in God's word, that you would resolve in 2010 to take every opportunity God gives you to drink in his word, whether it's in Sunday school whether it's in our worship times here at 11 o'clock, whether it's the opportunities that we have on Wednesday night to study God's Word together, whether it's as a dad or husband gathering your family for family worship nightly to open God's Word and worship together, or whether it's your own personal private daily reading. I think that if we would all resolve to do this, to get as much of God's Word into us in 2010 as possible, lots of the other resolutions would actually take care of themselves, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? If We were just in God's Word, consistently immersed in it. And so it's been sort of a tradition, uh, since I've been here anyway, on the last Sunday of the year, to encourage you to do just this, to be in God's Word more faithfully in the year that's ahead. We've done this most every Last Sunday of December since I've been here, these last eight Decembers. And this morning I want to do it again. I want to keep the tradition from 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 2. So let me read that to you and then we'll go back and we'll look at it together. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his young apprentice, and writing some really last words. Uh, Paul expects at least that this may be the last letter he'll ever write to Timothy. And so these are weighty words that we read beginning in chapter 3, verse 10. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience And instruction. Paul is coming to the end of his life, and he is thinking of the things that are most important to tell to Timothy, who is his young apprentice, who is his protege. And of the things that he concludes with, one of them is to say, remember the scriptures. Remember who taught you the scriptures. Remember that they led you to Jesus. Remember all that they're useful for. Remember to teach them to others. Remember the scriptures. And though you and I aren't Timothy, and though I'm the only one in this room who has the same occupation as Timothy, namely, it's my job to remember the Scriptures, I think what Paul says to Timothy in many ways applies to us all. Remember the Scriptures, Timothy. And he gives him, as we'll see, ten reasons why he should do so. Ten motivations for remembering the Scriptures. And so this morning the title is Ten Reasons Every Christian Should Immerse Himself in the Bible. In 2010. And we've looked at this passage before. And I've said many of the same things to you. That I'm going to say again today. But I hope that they're fresh. And I hope that they'll be helpful. Ten reasons why you should immerse yourself. In the scriptures. In 2010. Number one. You should immerse yourself in the Bible. In 2010. Because the Bible helps avoid error. The Bible helps avoid error. Verse 13 And the first half of verse 14, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. So he says there's going to be error. There are going to be evil men and imposters. Those people are going to exist in the church. But you, Timothy, need to remember the things that you've learned and been convinced of from the Scriptures so that you're not carried away, so that you're not one of the ones who's either being deceived or deceiving others. So just notice what he says there first. There are evil men and impostors. And he's talking about in the church. He's not talking about people outside the church. That's obviously the case, that there are evil men and impostors out there. But he says there will be evil men and impostors inside the church sometimes. And we can see that. I mean, we can put our finger on some of those kinds of situations. There are evil men and impostors who stand up in pulpits who don't really believe that what the Bible says is actually true. And yet they sort of weasel their way into pulpits and teach people baloney. And we have to be careful for that. It's not happening here, but we have to be careful in all the things that we listen to and read elsewhere that we don't start to listen to people who question that the Bible actually means what it says. Probably more close to home, there are evil men and imposters that we call legalists, right? People who who try to convince us that the essence of Christianity is all the things we do. And we have to be careful with that just in talking about New Year's resolutions, right? I kiddingly mention things that I hope that all of you will do, and I do hope you'll do them, but those things won't save you. If I were to try to stand up here and tell you, if you just do this, 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 and this, then you'd really be a Christian, I would be an evil man and an imposter. Because the essence of being a Christian is to know Christ and to have your life in Him. And then there are lovers of pleasure, right? You can see them on channel, on my TV, it's on channel 43, evil men and imposters who teach you that God's will for you is that you have everything that your selfish desires ever wanted. But then maybe the ones that are there that we don't notice quite as well and we need to be on guard for and that that maybe we are tempted to sometimes in our own fellowship is what we might call soapboxers people who are always focused on some secondary issue and try to make that the main issue. Whether it's the end times, whether it's how you're going to school your children, whether it's what you think about politics and all these things, all those are important. I have opinions on all those things. I think um, that some of those things are things we need to really think seriously about. But if I were to make those things my main message, then I would be an imposter. I'm called to preach the gospel of Jesus, right? And so you have to be careful for yourself and for those you listen to, both here and on the radio and other places, that you don't get caught up in a soapbox and start to, to become an evangelist for whatever it is that's not Jesus. Maybe a good thing, but it's not Jesus. And so he says you have to be careful, Timothy. There's error out there. And he says it will proceed from bad to worse. I mean, the longer we live, just the more opportunities there are for people to take the Bible down all sorts of wrong tracks or to take people down all sorts of wrong tracks from outside the Bible. And he says, they come as deceivers. In other words, people don't just stand up and tell you, now, I'm going to set the gospel aside this morning and I'm going to give you something else that's really not the gospel and I'm going to try to convince you that this is really important. That's not how it works, is it? They come as deceivers. And sometimes he says they are themselves being deceived. In other words, just because someone is is sincere and honest doesn't mean that they're right. doesn't mean that they understand the Bible correctly. So it's not about sincerity, first of all. It's about truth. And so the point is, if there's all this error and the main thing is truth, then we have to... Remember to continue in the things, verse 14, that we've learned and become convinced of. The Bible is what will help us avoid error. In other words, the best way to avoid the deceivers is to know the truth. I saw an illustration of this. When we lived in North Carolina, they opened up a new Mormon temple. And it was open for the public to come in and do open house and tour the thing. And, of course, they didn't put any of their kind of strange doctrines and unbiblical doctrines out in front for you to find out. Um, Everything was nice, and it was about family and all that kind of stuff. And there were just rows of people from Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, that area, just hundreds of people filing in. And I filed in because I wanted to see what was going on. And I was in line behind some people. Um, and, and in front of some people, and everybody's just amazed. Oh, this is amazing. And I thought, you know, I'm right here in the middle of the Bible belt. I bet half of these people, if not more than half of them, go to some quote unquote Bible believing church. And they're looking at this, and it looks wonderful to them because they don't know the truth well enough. They're deceived because they don't know the truth. And so we need to beware. We need to know this book so that we're not carried away by all the junk that's out there. We need to know it, study it, learn it, rehearse it in our minds, and then do all those things again and again and again. And so I say, immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 in all those different ways that I mentioned so that you avoid falling foul of the truth, so that you avoid falling into error. Now, number two. You should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible will help you train your children and your grandchildren. And you think, well, I don't have any children or grandchildren. Well, you might have some in the future, and so start now immersing yourself. Read verses 14b and 15 A with me, actually, just read all of verse 14. You, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Now, to grasp what Paul is saying to Timothy, to grasp that phrase, knowing from whom you've learned them, you have to go back to Second Timothy, chapter one, verse five and figure out from whom he learned them. And what Paul reminds Timothy of in 2 Timothy 1.5 is that he learned the Gospel, he learned the Scriptures from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And so he's saying to Timothy, the reason you are who you are, the reason why you know the Scriptures as you do is largely because of your grandmother and your mother who trained you in the Bible. And so it's not just mothers, it's grandmothers. And it's not just mothers, it's mothers-to-be who are preparing yourselves now. And it's not just mothers and grandmothers, it's fathers and fathers-to-be and grandfathers and people who are never going to have kids and yet can be mothers and fathers in the faith for younger people. And what he's saying here is, Timothy, it's so important that somebody taught you. And we can all say amen to that and thank God for the people that taught us. But then the application this morning is, who are we going to be teaching, right? I mean, we can't just always go along thanking God for who taught us in the past. We have to now pass it along. And so there's a word here for moms and dads and grandparents. Are you doing what Lois and Eunice did? Are you faithfully training the little ones? Now let me just read to you from the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to keep your finger in 2 Timothy and turn to Deuteronomy with you, you can. I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, where the Lord is speaking through Moses to his people as a congregation. So not just one individual like Timothy now, but everyone. And God says to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he says, Teach these words diligently to your children. So parents mainly, and this can apply to grandparents too, but parents mainly, are you diligently, regularly teaching your children God's Word? Are you engaging in family worship or something like that regularly so that God's Word is not just being taught to them by the Sunday school teachers, but by their parents mainly? And are you not just sitting them down and teaching them God's Word in a formal setting, but are you teaching them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up? If not, then you have a resolve for 2010 to add to your list. And I would encourage you to do it nightly to gather your children nightly for family worship. You can get a Bible or a picture Bible. You can get a hymn book and sing a hymn. You can get one of those yellow question and answer books that we have out there that teaches them Bible doctrine um, in a question and answer format. All of that can be helpful. And then ask yourself this question. Is the reason I'm not doing it perhaps or not doing it like I would like because the word is not on my own heart? Because that was the command from God through Moses. These words shall be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children. In other words, you're not going to talk about God's Word to your children as you walk along the way and as you rise up and as you sit down unless it's filtering through your own heart. You can sit them down and say, we're going to learn the Bible, but you're not going to teach it to them all throughout the day in all sorts of situations unless it's on your heart. These words shall be on your heart first and you will diligently teach them to your children. So that's the second reason why we should all immerse ourselves in the Bible in 2010 because the little ones, and not just the little ones who are little in age, but sometimes the little ones who are young in the faith, need someone who is more mature to come along and help them. Number three, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible leads us to salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. That's first verse 15b. From childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is number three on the list, but it's not number three in importance. I'm just going down through the verses In the order in which they appear. But if I were listing these 10 things in order of importance, I would put this number one. Or maybe I'd save it for number 10. So it would be the last thing that I would emphasize. This is most important. You should immerse yourself in the Bible because it is the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is in Jesus. If we hope to be right with God, in other words, if we hope to go to heaven, we need this book. Right? It's it's absolutely indispensable. And there are two important points that we need to notice here in this phrase in the second half of verse 15. The first thing I want to say to you is that the Bible itself will not save you. Isn't that what he says? He says the Bible leads to salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. So no one was ever saved simply by reading the Bible. So I'm not saying, you know, go home and read your Bible every day and God will let you into heaven because you'll be so glad that you read the Bible every day. That's not it. The Bible doesn't save you, but the Bible does lead you to salvation which is in Christ Jesus. So no one was ever saved simply by reading the Bible or listening to the Bible all the time. However, on the other hand, no one was ever saved without reading the Bible or listening to the Bible either. Because... He tells us here that we're saved by faith in Jesus. And in Romans 10, Paul has already told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So no one is saved simply by reading the Bible. The Bible leads you to Jesus. But no one's saved without reading the Bible or hearing the Bible because only the Bible leads you to Jesus. And that means that the Bible is really important. It's really important. Now, someone might reasonably say, in fact, most of you might reasonably say this morning, okay, this third point is really good, especially if there's a lost person here. Maybe I need to emphasize this to my kids who aren't Christians yet. The Bible will lead you to Jesus, and Jesus saves you, and so, therefore the Bible's important. But this doesn't really have to do with me, because I'm already a Christian. So this third point is really kind of an evangelistic point for those people who are, who are not believers. Well, it is that, but it's also for you who are believers, because let me remind you what Jesus says in Matthew 10. He who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, only the person who continues to place his trust in Jesus is the real Christian. It's not just, okay, I did this once and now I don't ever have to think about it again. He who continues to the end will be saved. And that means none of us have the chance right now to pull up and go into coast mode and say, I'm done, I signed the card, I've been through the water, I'm a Christian, so I don't have to think about that anymore. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says as long as we live, we have to test ourselves, examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, and we have to continue to the end. And therefore, all of us still desperately need the Bible. Because... Salvation is in Jesus. Salvation comes to those who keep trusting Jesus to the end. And what is it that leads us to Jesus so that we can trust Him? It's the Scripture which gives you the wisdom that leads to salvation which is in Christ Jesus. The Scripture leads us to Jesus. The Scripture keeps us from falling away from Him. And it's the people who just assume, oh, I'm a Christian, And then they set their Bible to one side, who end up falling away and proving that that, oh, I'm a Christian, was really just self-deception. We need the Scriptures to keep us trusting Jesus, and so we would do well to immerse ourselves in the Bible in 2010. Fourthly, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible is inspired by God. That's simple. That's obvious, I hope. Verse 16a, all Scripture is inspired by God. And that word inspired, as you know, probably literally means breathed out by God. Breathed out. God breathed into the hearts of the prophets and the apostles. He spoke into their hearts and they wrote down His very words on parchment for us. Now, what that means is when you open this book, When you open this book and by the Spirit open your heart to receive what it says, the Holy Spirit is as near to you as if He were standing close enough for you to feel His breath. Because these are God's very words. This book is God's autobiography, in fact. These are His very own words written about His very own self for your benefit someone has rightly called the Bible God's love letter. Now, it's not only that. Immerse yourself in this book. Do you remember when you first perhaps fell in love or you were first engaged and maybe you were away from your uh, fiancé for a little while? Toby and I, when we were um, in between uh, years of college one summer, we worked at a camp, and she worked over on the big kid's side and I worked over on the little kid's side. Actually, vice versa. She worked on the little kid's side and I worked on the big kid's side but there was a uh, there was a, a big patch of woods in between. So we didn't see each other very often. But we could write letters and send them in camp mail. Um, and I still have a box full of the letters she sent me. And I would sit there and check the mail every day. And then I would sit there and read those things over and over again. And sometimes I still pull them out and read them. And the more letters I got, the may, more it made me want to read them. And yet, I find my heart not always responding with that same kind of passion for God's letter to me. Perhaps you're the same. And perhaps the more I would read, the more I would want to read. So that's good reason, I think, to immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010, to pick up those habits, to come to some of the opportunities that you've missed coming to, to open this book every day on your own, to open it as a family every day, because it's breathed out by God. It's God's word to you. Now the next four points are all sort of short bullet points that come together in verse 16. Scripture, he says, is profitable for teaching, number five, for reproof, number six, for correction, number seven, for training in righteousness, number eight. And I want to cover these each a little more briefly because they sort of overlap one another. And I want to cover them... um, Using classroom metaphors to help describe to you what Paul is saying about the usefulness, the profitableness of the Bible. So, Numbers 5 through 8. Number 5, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible is profitable for teaching. For teaching. We said God's Word is like a love letter, and it is that, but it's other things too. And one of the things that it is is it's similar to a textbook. If you want to know about God, this is the book. This is the book. It's not only a textbook. So don't, don't miss that. not only a textbook, but it is the textbook. If you want to know about God, if you want to know about the origins of the world, if you want to know about yourself and human nature, if you want to know about the plan of salvation, how you can live forever, if you want to know how you're supposed to live here and now, this is the textbook. This is the instruction manual. And one of the main functions of the Bible is to pass on to us necessary information to lead us to wisdom, as he said back in verse 15. It's profitable for teaching. Sometimes we get older and we get out of school and we, we wipe the sweat off of our brow and we say, I don't have to learn anymore. Well, you have more to learn than you ever thought you had when you graduated from high school. Everything in this book is profitable. profitable just for instructing our minds, first of all, before we get to anything else. And so we need this book. Number six, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible is profitable for reproof. Reproof. Think about the classroom. You have the textbook. You also have... Wait, some classrooms still have these, but you also have the the yardstick or something like that, the paddle that your teacher would use to discipline you, right? Every student knows... That if he strays from the right path, there's going to be some sort of discipline for him, right? Some of us learned that quite well when we were in school. I see a few smiles and heads nodding already. Every child knows that if they stray, there's going to be discipline to help them stay off of that wrong path. And in the biblical sense, it's even more important because the wrong path leads to destruction. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. And so sometimes the Bible functions like a paddle or like a stern rebuke to get us back off of that road that leads to destruction and into the narrow way. Sometimes when we are in sin, the Bible makes us feel as though we've been given a good spanking. Perhaps some of you will leave today feeling like that. And other Sundays you should. Not every Sunday, but sometimes you should leave here or close up your Bible at the end of your devotional time and feel like you've just been spanked. The Bible is for reproof. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to discipline us so that we will get back off of that broad road that leads to destruction. And we need that. As much as we needed it as children, we need it now. So immerse yourself in the Bible. Allow yourself to be disciplined by God's Word. Number seven, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible is profitable for correction. So textbook, rod of discipline, guidance counselor perhaps. The Bible doesn't just discipline us. It doesn't just spank us. If a child is only ever just spanked, they'll grow bitter, right? And things will actually get worse. We need to be spanked every now and again. But after that, we need guidance. We need someone to give us positive instruction to say, now we've gotten you off of that bad spot. We've gotten you off of that broad road. Now let's talk about the narrow road. Let me explain to you how this works. Positive instruction alongside negative rebuke. And that's what Paul is describing here. There's reproof, but then there's also correction. There's the negative rebuke. There's the positive instruction. And God knows that we need both. He's the one that made us and made us as we are. And he has given us his written word to accommodate this need of positive correction, positive instruction. So that when he rebukes us sharply, he also comes along in his word and corrects us patiently and teaches us. We come to God's word and it encourages us to do the right thing, right? Sometimes it smites us to get us to do the right thing and sometimes it encourages us and woos us. It comes with promises and says, if you'll do this, then there's reward at the end. And we need the Bible for that reason. We need to listen to it and read it intently for the encouragement and the correction that's there. Number eight, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. For training, he says, in righteousness. And here I I was thinking of the Bible sort of as the activity manual that goes along with the textbook, right? You have the textbook. And then you have the activity book that gives you all sorts of exercises to do to help you in a more hands-on way learn the information that's in the textbook. And again, God accommodates Himself to us. He created us in such a way that we learn by reading and listening, but we also learn by actually getting hands-on training. So you can think of a high school science project, right? Your teacher gives you all this instruction that you're taking in. You read the textbook. You do all those things. But then she says, okay, now you're going to do this science project so that you can put into practice what you learn, not because your science project is actually going to end up in the Smithsonian, right? I mean, you're not doing your science project really to prove that you know anything because you really don't when you're in 11th grade probably. But you do the science project so that you learn even better. What you're going to know at the end of the class, right? That's the point of the project. And the Bible is filled with those kinds of practical things for us to do. Again, those things, those practical things the Bible gives us, they're not ends in themselves, right? I mean, we're not doing all these things because we're going to get to heaven and put them on display and say, look what I did, God. I'm so amazing. Now you're going to let me into heaven. That's not the point. All the practical things that God gives us to do are, first of all, for His glory, but they're secondly so that we learn. So that we learn what He wants, what He's like, what we're supposed to be like. He gives us things to do and we learn. That's why David says, I'm wiser than all the ancients because I practice the Scriptures. He says, I'm wise because of what I practiced, what I did, what I trained to do. Because of the science project, so to speak so the Bible is filled with these hands-on activities that help us learn the ways of righteousness. That's why we ask our kids to do certain things when they're young. They're not even Christians yet, most of them. But we say, you're going to learn to pray. You're going to learn to read your Bible. You're going to learn to do all these things. Because the more they do it, the more they understand what God is like and what His Word is about. However, we cannot do the science project if we never read the textbook. We cannot practice anything if we never open the manual. Indeed, we cannot obtain the facts that we need. We cannot benefit from the rebukes that we need. We cannot get the positive correction that we need unless we open the book and do it often, unless we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Number nine. You should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because the Bible will equip you for every good work. The Bible will equip you for every good work. Verse 17, all of the scripture, it's inspired by God, it's profitable in these various different ways. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, we've been saying all along that we all ought to matriculate in the school of the open Bible, right? And now we know why. The reason why we need the open Bible, the reason why we need to study and learn and grow is because doing so equips us for every good work. If we're going to do the things that God says that we ought to do, then we have to read what God says, right? I mean, it's simple. How many of you want to go and have surgery from a doctor who has a reputation for skipping class all throughout medical school? Right? Not many of us. How many of you would, ladies would want to get a perm from a hairstylist who had a D average in beauty school or who just took a few online courses uh, in the evenings? Not many of you. How many of you would want your son to learn science from an instructor who simply skimmed a science textbook every now and again? Not most of you. How many of you would want your daughter to learn piano from a teacher who simply read The Idiot's Guide to Learning Piano and then sat down at the bench to try to teach your daughter? Again, not many of you. You see, you've got to know your stuff if you're going to do what God has called you to do. If you're going to do medicine, you've got to know medicine. If you're going to do hair, you've got to know hair. If you're going to do piano, you've got to know piano. And if you're going to do Christianity... You've got to know Christianity. And how in the world can we ever consider ourselves adequate as Christians if we are not thorough students of the Christian book? Some of us, we would never say this, but some of us in our actions may actually prove that we think hairstyling is more important than being equipped for every good work. Because we're more concerned that that person has training than that we are that we have training to do what we're called to do as Christians. Why would we ever think that we could be equipped for all that God has called us to do? All these great things that God has called us to do unless we're spending significant amounts of time in this book. We'll never be. We'll never be what we should be. We'll never do what we should do unless we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Number ten. Finally, you should immerse yourself in the Bible in 2010 because... The Bible gives you something to preach. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, as I said at the beginning, Timothy was called to a peculiar kind of job. He was called to be a pastor. His job was to preach, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with great patience and instruction. So these verses are addressed specifically to him. Preaching the word was part of his weekly ministerial task. However, as I said at the beginning, I think that what Paul says to him, including these last two verses, applies in many ways to us all. Each of us really needs to be able to proclaim God's Word. That's what preach means. Preach doesn't mean to stand behind the pulpit. I mean, we use it in that sense. But preaching is any time you're proclaiming God's Word. So if you've ever proclaimed God's Word to someone evangelistically or trying to encourage or rebuke a brother or sister in Christ or trying to teach your kids, then you have done some preaching, proclaiming. And all of us are called to do that, aren't we? We've already said that we're called to proclaim God's word to our children and our grandchildren. We're called each of us to proclaim God's word to fellow Christians who are in need of encouragement. We're called sometimes to proclaim God's word to fellow Christians who are in need of correction and rebuke. We're called to proclaim God's word to younger Christians who need to mature in the faith and who need counsel or who just need more and more biblical wisdom. We're called to proclaim God's Word, some of us in classroom settings. We're called to proclaim God's Word, all of us, to unbelievers all around us in the culture. To proclaim the gospel to them. So all of us, though we may not be called as preachers, are called to preach. You get that? You probably aren't called to be a preacher, but you are called to preach. Maybe it's through a note or a card that you send. Maybe it's through a few sentences that you get into a conversation. Maybe it's to invite someone for coffee and have a longer conversation. There are all sorts of ways, but all of us are called to be sharing God's Word with others. All of us must be ready, like Paul called Timothy to be, in every season when the opportunity arises to preach the Word. But how can you be ready to preach the Word in any season If you don't know the word, you see, you're not going to have the time that I have to sit down and prepare a sermon for every occasion that you have with your kids or your co-workers or your wife or your husband or your neighbor. Are you? And neither am I for all those situations. And so if you're going to have something to say. It's not going to be that you're going to say, okay, give me five minutes and I'm going to come back and and I'm going to have something to tell you. It's going to be that you're going to be immersed in God's Word so much that you have a Word in season. For whatever it is, whether it's evangelism or encouragement or correction or just training your children or whatever it may be. If you immerse yourself in God's Word, then you will have a Word in season for those who need it. So ten things. Ten reasons why we should be immersing ourselves in the Bible. Perhaps one or other struck you more heavily and you need to meditate more on that. But here's a final question. Just a practical now question. In what area is it that you need to make some sort of a resolution? Maybe it's not a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's a December 27th resolution. I need to start today. But how are you going to be more diligent starting today or starting in the new year to immerse yourself in this book? Some of you perhaps need to commit to be more diligent and eager and prepared to come and listen on Sundays. Some of you are sleepy when you get here. Some of you are late when you get here. Some of you are daydreaming when you get here. And you need to train yourself so that when you're in the class at 10 and when you're here at 11, you can actually get what you're supposed to get. And maybe that would be the resolve for some of you, to go to bed earlier on Saturday, to get up 15 minutes earlier on Sunday, but to get everything that you can get when you're here. Perhaps for others of you, it would be that you need to take up this discipline of family worship to sit down with your wife and kids or your husband and kids and say, we're going to we're going to open the Bible together for 15 minutes. We'll read a passage of scripture. We'll sing a song. We'll pray together where I'm going to teach the word of God to my family. And if you're the leader of the family, then that would fall on you. And perhaps you need to engage in that in the year to come. Some of you perhaps we we'll want to take advantage of the Wednesday night opportunities that we have. It's another chance to hear God's word. It's a different sermon than what we have on Sunday morning, and it's another chance. And just to give you a plug in the in the month of January, both on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, we're going to be studying the first 3 chapters of Revelation, the letters of Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And and I did that on purpose. I did Uh, Sunday morning and Wednesday night same sermon series for a few different reasons but one of them was I thought maybe somebody will come on Sunday morning and think well I don't want to miss the next one so I'll come on Wednesday night because I want you to get God's word I want you to get as much as as you can and for some of you maybe that's the thing and for all of us perhaps the thing is that we need to, to discipline ourselves to be in this book every day even if you've done it every day this year you have to start over in January don't you And you're about to finish Malachi or about to finish Revelation or about to finish whatever it is you've been reading. And it would be easy just to kind of of float into the new year. And you need to say to yourself, what am I going to do starting next Friday? I want to be in God's Word every day. And in the bulletin today, the article in the bulletin today gave you six or seven ideas of different ways that you could do that from a chapter a day to three or four chapters a day from just reading through the New Testament to reading through the whole Bible in the next year. All sorts of different ways. What is it for you? What is the way that you need to put into practice what God is saying through Paul to Timothy and by extension to us? How is it that you need to be ready? With God's Word? How is it that you need to be diligent with God's Word? How is it that you need to remember God's Word? What is it? For-